on the 19th of July, 2007, a group of 23 South Korean missionaries were captured and held hostage by a member of the Taliban while passing through Afghanistan. There was a lot of turmoil with why they went on this trip. Here's one of the reasons. There were 16 women and seven men, and they were captured on a bus traveling from Kandahar to Kabul. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but on the news, it tells us it's a very deadly place. Samuel Presbyterian Church was the sending church. They sent these people into Afghanistan, a dangerous place. There's a lot of questions on why, but it put their country in conflict with the Taliban. Their mission was to share the gospel, to secretly hand out Bibles and to love them and help them in the name of Jesus. Somehow two rebels got on the bus and with guns took them hostage and over the next several days they were in caves, they were in cellars, they were in barns, they were in holes in the ground, they were broke up in three and four people and they were captive. One of the things that they did was they had Bibles that they were smuggling in. And in a Muslim country that's run by a Muslim organization, it's called the Caliphate, which means that uh, you must be Muslim to live in this country. It's against the law. They smuggled in Bibles, and I smuggled one in today. We'll see if I can get it out. And you know what they did? They took apart the Bible in multiple areas and gave and handed it out. And all they had was a couple people and the word of God to survive. Can we turn the lights on today so I can see these smiling faces, so I can see the tears that are gonna happen this afternoon? I'm so grateful that you've chose to be here today with our church. I believe days like today are a milestone, a marker in our church. And I believe by the end of the message today, you will feel and understand why. I believe God is gonna turn our church upside down for the kingdom of God and the glory of God and that we are gonna be a different church in a matter of time. We are grateful that you have chosen to worship Jesus with us. It's truly an honor and a privilege. And if you're here, hopefully you feel loved. And if you're able to love, love someone else and love them right where they're at so they can have the same thing that you have. I have a one-point message, and I hope I say this. My prayer is that I'm gonna say this multiple times. And here's the point. A saved life should be a grateful life. I hope you hear that over and over again. I hope you walk away and understand that your life has been saved and you should then be grateful for it. We have walked through the Psalms this summer and there's been incredible messages as we've broken down some words from Jeremy and Kim and myself. We've gone through the Psalms because the Psalms bring us to a place of emotion and I promise you today there's a lot of emotion and that's okay. There's anger and sadness, there's happiness and joy, there's conviction and there's struggle. But that's all part of our life in Christ and why not talk about it? 
Today we're gonna go through this uh, Psalm 116. It's very unique. We've, uh, a couple of weeks ago I talked about a Psalm of Ascent. As they're ascending into Jerusalem, we read this Psalm 133. So from 120 to 134 is called the Psalms of Ascent. They would sing these Psalms as they were heading into Jerusalem on Passover. Psalm 113 to 118, there's six Psalms that were actually sung before Passover and after Passover. Super incredible. They're called the Egyptian Halals. And they're these songs that you would sing. Psalm 113 and 114 you would sing before Passover. And then after the meal there would be some celebratory psalms and that you would sing after uh, they had the Passover meal. Now sometimes when we read the Bible it's just black and white and you're powering through it and you kind of skip over certain verses but at this moment where Jesus is heading into the garden of Gethsemane and he's getting ready he's 12 hours or so away from dying on the cross look at what the text says in Matthew 26 30 it kind of blows me away super important that you guys understand this so they've just finished breaking bread they've they in some translations he's washing feet uh, Judas has gone to betray Jesus all that's in motion and now before he heads into the garden and starts to pray here's what it says when they had sung a hymn they went out into the mountain of olives so what are they saying well they're saying that they sang Psalm 115 116 117 and 118 because that was after Passover Jesus sung this song and then went and saved the world isn't that incredible? This psalm speaks for itself. I don't really need to add any commentary because the words speak for itself. And the, the, the psalm is to teach us a life rescued from this world and saved by God. And Jesus knows this song, knows this psalm, sings it, and then walks into his glory by saving the world because Jesus saves. So will you stand with me as we honor the word of God? And think about this. What happens if we as a church only had one Bible and I just walked away and gave you a couple of pages? How would you treat that? How would you read it? And how much would you memorize and know so that when someone traded you, you're like, oh, I remember that. I really like that because that's what these captives did. So today we're gonna honor the word of God like no other. Psalm 116 begins like this. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy because he bends down to listen and I will pray as long as I have breath. Father, I ask that you breathe into our lives today. Holy Spirit, move in a powerful way, even greater than what you did in the first service. I pray for strongholds to be lifted. I pray for freedom in the name of Jesus. I pray for the challenges that we have to be washed in the blood of Christ. I pray everything that's holding us back that will be broken through so that your glory will shine. Holy Spirit, work mightily right now. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So at one point I was held captive, not in the Taliban. It was called the CDC. That's California Correctional Department, if you guys didn't know that. And there was a moment that really stands out to me. I've got a lot of stories about me being locked up, but there was a moment that I really felt like was the first time I ever truly worshiped God. 
and it was when I was in this place called the Thunderdome it was a place where people were fighting it was the worst of the worst that were in this little 64 person room and there was a Bible study and these guys there was like six of us and they taught me this song I don't know if you know this song uh, anybody know the song it's called I Love You Lord you're old if you know the song <laughs> and here's how it goes I'm not going to sing it because I'll make you guys cry out to Jesus for me to stop but it says I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you oh my soul rejoice and I didn't know that at the time but I know it now that this was a prayer from my heart to the Lord's heart teaching me so many things and isn't that what Psalm 16 is doing it reminds me for the first time I'm with a bunch of stinky men I'm looking at 10 years and I'm singing a song and saying I'm going to love you as long as you want me to love you and I'm going to walk in this jail cell or prison cell as long as you want and I feel as we're talking about these missionaries they had this same mindset whoever's blessed enough to have Psalm 116 as their portion of Bible must have really felt spiritually empowered by what God was saying in these words listen to what it says he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy you can see the missionaries crying out have mercy on us Lord bring us back to our hometown and to where we came from and he said they were crying out God save us because that's what God does he sent his son to save us so that we can have a saved life that makes us grateful for the life that we have been given a saved life creates a grateful life so that we can for, be forgiven and the best part of this is that we are to pray continuously our Bible tells us pray continuously at our youth camp last week we went through the book of Philippians and there's this moment that says pray constantly don't give up all we can do is pray and we're praying to communicate to the Lord and ask him to save us and help us and I love what Tara said on that song is like that song's lyrics are tough and if you can't do it ask God to help you do them and live them out And you know what the best part of the psalm is, is this. It talks about a father bending down and getting on his knee. And if you've ever seen a father bend down and his child comes and they're crying or they're happy, whatever it is, the father is on their level in an intimate position receiving that child on their level. And it doesn't get any more intimate. It's an endearing uh, moment for that child and if you've ever seen it it's in maybe endearing for you and God is saying I'm bending down and leaning into your life and that's what those missionaries needed they needed a savior to save them from this capture verse 3 and 4 are a, a prayer and in, in some of the translations they call it uh, the pains of death and this is the prayer from the pains of death and you know I don't know why this church I, I do know why this church has had a lot of tragedy and death in our church um, family members dying children dying and in that God wants to engage with us and here he says this in the prayers of the pains of death and if you know your Bible in the end of the Bible Peter writes a couple of books and he uses this phrase a lot it's kind of 
uh, translated different in the NLT, but here's what it says. This is a prayer from the pains of death. Death wraps its ropes around me. The terror of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. You can feel the missionaries crying out. Then the Lord, then I called upon the name of the Lord. Please save me. Remember, Jesus said the same song. He, he sang this right before he went to the cross. Not my will, Lord, your will be done. He's saying, take this cup of suffering. I don't want to do this. I know how painful it is. But then instantly he goes back and says, no, not me and my will, but you and your will. And he walks into this world and saves us so that we don't have to uh, live a life apart from God anymore. And that's the beauty of what we have in our life. You know, death is near to all of us. I apologize if this hits in a, at a deep level right now, but you know that 100 years ago, maybe 110 years ago, at the turn of the century, the 1900s, or we call that the 20th century, about 1908, do you know what the average age of life was? 49 years old. I'm expired already. And so, you know what happened 100 years ago, 120 years ago and before? People valued death. Because it happened. Women would die in pregnancy all the time. A man would be out working and cut his hand and it would be something that you'd go to the doctor and stitch up. They would die from disease. And people were regularly remarried and, and had different spouses because death was valued. And what I mean by that, everybody knew we were gonna die. And you know what's happened in the last 130 years, 120 years? We've increased our lifespan and we've increased our medicine and we believe a doctor can save me and a pharmaceutical company can save me and we forget that only Jesus saves. And because of that, and I'm guilty too, and because of that, we don't value death. When death comes on our doorstep and it comes knocking, it wrecks us, it destroys us, it brings us anger, it brings us sorrow and suffering. And 100 years ago, they dealt with it differently because it was common. And now it's not common because we have doctors and, and we have medicines and we have surgeries and we have treatments. But we forget that God is the end of all and only he can save some live on earth, but all who believe are saved in heaven all the time. A saved life then should be a grateful life. And I want to challenge you with this idea. What does it mean for you to be grateful? As, as I'm talking about a deep topic today, what does it look like for you to be grateful? Well, I got a couple of things that we can talk about. Number one is you're grateful when you can pause and reflect. You go through something horrific and you can put a pause and it's like, man, this is the worst moment I've experienced in a while, but I know God still loves me and I know still God is still good. And you also can go to beach baptism and get baptized and come out of the water and pause and reflect and go, thank you, Jesus, for saving me and cleansing me and, and anointing me so that I can walk for your kingdom. So a grateful life has the ability to pull back and no matter what's going on, pause, reflect, and be grateful, an attitude of gratitude. 
The second one is, is when you say thank you, you actually really are thankful. You know, Jeremy wrecked me. I've, I've never been the same, and I, I try not to say these platitudes, but about seven years ago, this guy preached a message about platitudes and how we say all kinds of crazy things. How you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then what we teach at our church, ask it three times. How you doing today? Oh, I'm good. How you doing today? Oh, I'm good. How you doing today? Oh, my dog's dying. The car's being repoed. Uh, you know, the, the toilet exploded last night. Everybody, you just ask a couple times and you find out everybody's not good. And everybody's not thankful. One of the ways that you know you're grateful is when you say thank you and you're really thankful. That sounds so simple, but it's also very deep when you understand it. And the last one is this that you appreciate whatever you have. If you're living in your car and you're like, man, at least I have a car and I got some stuff in the car. If you're living in a house with a helicopter pad, at least I got a helicopter and I'm living for Christ. The point is to appreciate whatever you have. Whatever stuff you have and then hold loosely onto that because that's the Lord's, not yours. But that's the, the idea. So here we're talking about a, a saved life is a grateful life, and I'm trying to give you ideas of what it looks like so that you understand grateful. Here's what verse 5 says. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Can you imagine the missionary reading this? I'm facing death. Lord, are you really going to save me? Verse 7, let my soul be at rest, for the Lord has been good to me. I'm going to come back to that verse in a little bit. Just kind of put that bookmarker that we're going to reach back to that. I can hear the missionaries crying out to the Lord. All they have is a little portion of the Bible and another brother and sister in a, in a cave, in a barn, in a hole, wondering if they're going to make it out. And you know what? Death was near to them. Just like it's near to us, maybe a little bit closer to them because the Taliban is known for killing people. We've seen... Uh, all kinds of stuff on TV where they've executed people on live TV. Death was near. And here's why. The Taliban reached out to the Korean government, the prime minister, and said, if you don't deal with us and if you don't take our demands, we're going to start killing people one by one. And so you know what they did? As they had their Bible, they started to discuss out of the 23 people who was going to die. They started to pick out and say who was going to die. And there was a pastor there, and he says, if anybody's going to die, it's going to be me. I'm the pastor. And you know what? There was also an elder there. And I don't know if you know church governance, but the elder is higher than the pastor, and he says, I'm your boss. I'm going to die. And they started to discuss out of the 23 which one would go because they knew it was going to happen. The text says this, that the Lord is good. But I gotta be honest with you, it's not my good 
When I read that and I think about the Lord and I think about the loss that's happened just in my family and I think about the loss that's happened in all of your families and the struggle that you have, I'm like, man, that doesn't seem good, Lord, but it's not my good, it's not your good, it's God who is good. And when it says the Lord is good, sometimes he takes someone from us, but it doesn't mean that he hates us, he's doing it for the good of the kingdom. And it seems unfair but it doesn't mean it is. It just seems like it because humans don't know what God's good is. And my favorite part of the text talks about childlike faith. It says this. It says, the Lord protects those who work in children's ministry. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, Miss misspoke. The Lord protects those who are pastors. No, that's not what it says. The Lord protects those who give a lot of money. The doors, the, those, uh, Lord protects those who are going to help us tear down. Please help us tear down. No, it doesn't say that. It says childlike faith. Do you know why? Here's a concept I want you to know. As you have gotten older, God has gotten smaller. The world has gotten your way and the pains of this world have gotten in your way. When you have a little seven-year-old kid and they're ministering to you and you're crying and they're like, what's the matter, mom? What's the matter, dad? And the kid says, it's okay, God's got this. And your God has gotten really small and their God is infinite. That's who the Lord protects because that's what he wants you guys have got to break the constructs of who God is and expand it back to it was when you were a kid that you believe God can do anything because he can. Because a grateful life, a saved life is a grateful life and God saves. And he saves us to create a testimony. And my job is then to testify of what God has done. And you don't have to have a testimony like me to testify about your faith. I don't necessarily want my testimony. It's just the one that God gave me. I'd prefer to go, I went to school, I found Jesus, I lived for Christ, I got married, I got kids, and I got problems, and I got saved, right? That's as good as that as gets for me. That's just not my story, but that doesn't mean that's not powerful, and it doesn't change lives, because it does. You are to testify, and God created a testimony in us. Here's what verse 8 says. He saved me from death my eyes from tear, tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live on this earth. I believe in you. And so I said, I'm deeply troubled. Again, could you imagine if this was the text and you're a missionary and you're reading this and you're talking about being saved and my, my tears are gonna be wiped away and you're stuck in a hole in a barn in a cave with a little bit of God's word and wondering, am I gonna make it out? You know, Jesus saves. But he doesn't save everybody from the physical death. You know why? Because we're all gonna die. Some of us he takes early. Some of us he takes late. But everyone who believes in him, he saves us from spiritual darkness and he gives us eternal light in Jesus Christ. He saves us. He saves some on earth for a little bit longer life, but he saves all who believe forever in eternal life. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I don't know why God saved me. 
I see a little bit of him working in my life by being able to testify to you. But here's a little bit of my story. And I always ask myself, why am I still here? I brushed death many times in my life. I flew out of a car, 75 feet out of my car in an accident in Ensenada. I was kidnapped twice, once for 40 hours. I was shot at in Pomona. I was carjacked by knife point. And then when the guy put the knife in and I got cut right here, I said, I'm not going to keep my car. You can have it. I'm not going to die for this car. I was a drug addict. I could have died many times using drugs. But for whatever reason, God saved me. And the text talks about crying out to him, asking God to help me. And at one point when I was locked up and before I was asking God to help, just like the missionaries are in a hole or in a cave and they're asking, help me, Lord, do something in my life. Hopefully this isn't the end of who I am, though they knew death was near because it was already told death was near. God saves us. All who believe in heaven all the time and sometimes he spares us like something, somebody like me some of the time until I get to the day that I'm to expire. But all the time in heaven we are saved for those who believe and what are we supposed to do? We are to walk in his presence, in his spirit, for his glory so that we can show the world that no matter what's happened to me and is going on in my life, God's glory is bigger than any of my circumstances. Yeah, amen. On July 25th, the pastor was killed. We send people on mission trips all the time. I've been the lead pastor many times. On July 30th, the elder was killed. The conversation that they were talking about before they died was it's my role, it's my duty, and it was an honor to be chosen. And these guys were talking about this was my role. Go back to verse 7. Verse 7 says this, let my soul be at rest for the Lord has been good to me. They came to the conclusion as they were reading Psalm 116 that I need to be at rest and it's better for me to die than any of the other missionaries. They came to a conclusion that I would never be at rest if somebody else died. A saved life should be a grateful life and I know that some of you in your pain and suffering have lost loved ones but those that have Jesus are saved for eternal life no matter what and that's the beauty because of Jesus and him saving us. Verse 12. What can I offer the Lord? for all he has done for me. I will lift up my cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of his people. All I have, honestly, 
All I have today for you is my salvation. The text says a cup of salvation. All I have is this salvation, and all I can do is offer it up to you today and say, this is the story. This is what the Bible says. All we have is this cup of salvation to offer. And from that, then we should be grateful because he saves our life and he gives us a new life and a new way to live. And it says walking in his presence and giving promises to who he is and what he is. You have a new way of life. The question is, are you doing it? Are you living it out? Or have you just become a retired Christian? I come in and I take my seat. I throw a few bucks in the offering and I come back in the next week or six to worship God. The text talks about, in verse 14, uh, I, I keep my promises to the Lord. Our role is to promise our life to God and then follow through with them. But here's the thing. If you know me, I break promises. I sometimes set appointments and overbook I sometimes say things and, and don't do them, but listen, so do you. It's easy to point my fingers at me, but also realize you guys break promises too. But listen, our God doesn't break promises. We sing songs that say he is faithful because he never lets us down. And maybe the promise that he gives us won't happen while you're on earth, but it will happen at some point, even if you're on, in heaven. Because God doesn't fail, humans fail. That's who my God is. He always comes through. His oaths always are fulfilled. So I want you to ask yourself the next time you promise. It's like, can I really follow through with this? Can I really be capable to fulfilling what I'm, what I'm saying here? Or am I being forced to do it? Because most of the times I fail on my promises, I'm being forced into it. What does Jesus say about promises? In Matthew 5, Kim was talking about this in uh, the offering. It says this, Matthew 5, he says this, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you make to the Lord. How many vows have you broken to God? I, over the last 20 years, I've, I've failed miserably. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to serve here. I'm going to read more. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast every week for the rest of my life. That fails. You don't get a body like this fasting all the time. A couple weeks ago, I talked about a simple yes and a simple no. Let your yes be yeses or your no's be no. The text after that says, well, if you don't do that, it's the evil ones taking over because you're not, you're not fulfilling your vows. If you were one of the missionaries, what vows would you be saying right now? You're in a hole. You're in a cave. You got a few pages of the Bible. Two people have died. What kind of promises are you making? Lord, I promise, get me out. I'll read the Bible the rest of my life. I'll never go a day without reading your Bible. I remember saying that in jail. 
Lord, if you get me out of here and you save me from 10 years, I, I promise I'll read your Bible. And, I, you know, I'm trying. I'm still trying. Still today. It's the one promise I've committed to. And I'm trying really hard never to let a day go without me taking a little bit of what's been given to me and utilize it. What promises will you make? I'll share about you, Lord, if you get me out of this. I'll talk about you to everyone I meet at Starbucks, at school, at my job, in the grocery store. I'll share about you every time if you get me out of this. Lord, I will be obedient. Every time, every time I, you call on me, I will be obedient if you just get me out of the hole. I will serve at church. I will actually go to church, Lord. Every Sunday. I'll give up my addiction. I'll never be doubtful. I'll always be faithful. I'll always believe. We say these general terms thinking that we're capable, but we're not capable because humans fail. God never fails. 40 days after the missionaries uh, were captured, they were released. Two dead, the rest were on their way home because Jesus saves some of them, not all of them. But the ones he didn't save are in heaven and are martyrs for Jesus Christ. And they chose that path. One of the women said, my life is not complete if I never see my kids again. She says, I will treat my kids so differently. And this is a picture for the first time. She sees her kids at the airport. And I pray that she doesn't break the vows like humans do. I pray that she invited God in and that her life is still honoring those kids. <laughs> Making God a grateful pledge is an honor. It's an opportunity. But we don't do it carefully. We say a lot of mindless things. And the question is, I need to ask, am I capable of fulfilling this promise? Or is somebody forcing me to do it? Verse 15 says this. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. Do you know that? Read that again. Look at what the text says. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. You have lost people in your life, and I am so compassionate about it. But when I read verses like that, and I think about these missionaries who pastor and elder went to die for them. It says the Lord cares for them as he's cared for your family members that have passed. 
In Luke chapter, I mean, in John chapter 11, verse 35, there's a verse that says Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. And Jesus comes in, Lazarus has died, and he sees the pain and suffering of death, and he's weeping, and he's weeping for the people, not for Lazarus, because he knows what heaven's like. It's amazing. But I'm sad because you guys don't live your life knowing how amazing afterlife is. But Jesus weeps. He knows how painful it is when we lose someone on earth and he sees it with his friend Lazarus. And I love that text. If you've lost someone, maybe you should circle it. Psalm 116, 15. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. Oh Lord, I, I am your servant. Yes, I am the servant born into your household. Free, uh, you have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I could just see the missionary who had this text reading that. You have freed me and now I'm part of your household and now I'm gonna serve you and now all the promises I made I'm gonna try and honor and fulfill. A servant vows to his master and it's his duty to honor that. To say I offer myself to thee to do with you as thy will. I give my cup of salvation to you and ask for you to use it. I give you all my praises. I pledge to you that I am thankful that you have freed me from my chains and I still have some chains and I'm asking you, God, to even free me further. Honoring God is being obedient to God. We don't do obedience very well anymore, church. And normally at that point, I let you off the hook. Not this church, but all the other churches. I just can't do that anymore. We are called to obedience. And honestly, it's an honor would you make that call to go before everyone in church, take me, Lord, and kill me so that my friends could live? Here's the last verse and last part of the pledge, verse 18. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. I will fulfill these vows. Help me fulfill those vows. Again, I love what Tara said about that new song. If you can't do it, ask God to help me fulfill those vows. Help me live a life the way that Jesus lives. When I think of vows, I think of my beautiful wife and the words that I said to her. And I was so giddy and so excited to marry Elizabeth that I, 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 I cheapishly said, yes, in, in rich or poor, in sickness and in health until death to his part, I'm gonna cherish you and honor you. And I'll be honest, I haven't done a great job with him. Or maybe I did, right, Liz? Yeah, that's been good, thanks. Obviously, I haven't been perfect. But God wants us to honor him and choose him. A pastor went over to see the church about seven years after and interviewed the people at the church. 
and he met with everyone that was still alive. And he asked them questions. He just wanted to get a feel for what they were thinking and what really happened because it's an incredible story. And you want to know what they said? All of them said this. When I was surrounded by these soldiers, I felt the presence of Jesus in there with me, and I've never felt like that in my life. A group of high schoolers went to a beach house last weekend and we went through the book of Philippians and at one point there's a place where the apostle Paul writes this because he knows this feeling he writes I can do all things through Christ who Strengthens me. And that's not so that I can be president of the United States or a billionaire or I can win the X Games or get a gold medal. That's not what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul is chained by Roman soldiers. Death is near, it's imminent. And he knows what it's like to die. But these missionaries are having that same feeling, saying, I can do anything through Christ that can strengthen me. I can watch my friends die or I can choose death. I can walk through it. That's the testimony of Paul. But we use it as like, oh, I can be anyone and anything. True. If God that wants that for you. But that's not the context. Another one said, now back in Seoul, I'm trying everything to be intimate with Jesus like I was. I fast, I pray, I read, I go on, you know, I, I, I go on hikes and do all these things and he goes I can never get back to that place over and over he talked to them and you know what they said every time I wish I was back in captivity again because of the presence of Jesus every time these people come to church just like Journey Every time they come to church, another missionary sees the other one and they give them the nod and they whisper, don't you wish you were back in the hole again with that little Bible chunk and the presence of God? Could you imagine? A saved life should be a grateful life. You know, you know why Jesus saves because he loves you but not all of us are going to be saved and live a long life on this earth we are all going to die but some are left early and leave us early and it's unfair it's not good to me but God has goodness in it and I have to learn to understand that and, and, and balance that out in my spiritual bank account knowing that God is good all the time doesn't seem right doesn't seem fair but it's true so then what is my life saved for? There's tension there. Do you guys feel that tension? He's saved me because he loves me, but sometimes he takes the loved ones early. And then we're stuck here kind of with this knot and this loss and this void, and we kind of walk away from God. But let me give you some things that he saved us for. Number one, to be truly grateful for all that you have. I've got way more than I deserve. I do I don't deserve any of it the way I live my life the way I treated people 
the first thing I need to do is just be grateful. Just be grateful with this saved life. He saved me for a reason. I'm still alive for whatever reason. The second thing is to live then my life every day for Jesus. You know, I went on my first missions trip with my sister in Mexico. My sister was living down there. I wanted to go see her. I was just out of jail, six months out of jail. And I go down and see my sister. And on the way back, I'm with another guy. And God says, Jeff, I want you to be a missionary. I'm like, yes, Lord, send me anywhere. He's like, I'm going to send you back to Camarillo, California. And I'm like, no, Lord, not there. That's where I live. And then he's asked me to live my life for Jesus in this city. Every day of my life for Jesus. And you know what? He's asking you to. And the last one is to use my testimony. Whatever story you have, God wants that story to be told. You have value. Use what he has given you. Use every broken part of your body and every broken part of your soul, every broken part of what you've done in this world, and use it and watch him work through it. How do you feel about your saved life now? Are you grateful? Do you feel like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they walked into the fire? And before they walked into the fire, they said, God, if we die, I'm still going to honor you. I'm not worried about this world, but they walk in, and a fourth person came into the fire with them, and they were saved. But they were willing to die for Christ. Are you? Would you step into the fire? What about Stephen and Acts? He's a martyr. And as people are throwing rocks and his head is splitting open and he's on near death, one or two more stones and he's going to die and he has this moment with Jesus Christ and then he dies. Are we Christians missing out on a special fellowship of suffering because of our want for safety and comfort. Somewhere in the Bible with Paul and somewhere where these missionaries are, they put their life on the line and they have had an experience with God that shaped and molded them forever and they wish they could go back. And today, we are so angry and so uncomfortable when someone gets in my zone and makes me uncomfortable. But listen, God has told us as a church that he is going to flip this place upside down and there is going to be a revival and it's going to be uncomfortable. But in that, there's going to be glory and salvation because Jesus is going to save new people and new lives and a new generation to take over the church. but many are going to walk away because you're making me uncomfortable because you're infringing on my safety and my comfort. God wants to use every part of your testimony. God wants to use every part of your uncomfortableness for the kingdom of God. He has a plan and a purpose. And for us to change the world, we've got to uh, open it up to everyone in the world and turn this church upside down and let the spirit of God change souls as they walk in. You know why? Because God's big enough to do that.
Right now, the Holy Spirit is at work. You guys feel it? I hope you feel uncomfortable, because I do. I hope you feel convicted, because I do. I hope you walk out of here feeling a little bit different, going, I need to put myself in a level of understanding of who God really is, and in that place of fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we commit this time to you. Help us turn this church upside down for your kingdom. Help us make us uncomfortable as new people walk in and salvation comes and healing in Jesus' name is, is a part of I ask that that person online that has anxiety and is crying out and is locked up in their room, they experience freedom in the name of Jesus. I ask for those that are depressed, that they feel a sliver of hope because God is alive and that they're willing to go at any length into the fire for Jesus Christ with it. But I pray for that soul that is lost, that's disconnected, that doesn't know Jesus. All they have to do is say a few simple words and watch their life be transformed. If you're here today, if you're online, if you're listening, you can say these words, Father, forgive me. Come into my life, come into my soul, and be my Savior. Save me, Lord. You died upon the cross for me. You rose three days later so I can be in eternity. I offer myself to you and your Holy Spirit. Mold me, shape me, disciple me right now in Jesus' name. I step into the fire. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, let's worship Christ right now.